Welcome back to The Conservationist. In this episode, we are joined by Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, California Chapter Coordinator, Devin O'Day. He speaks about the ongoing work with advocating for hunters in California. Devin grew up backpacking and fishing the Trinity Alps and Sierra Nevada mountain ranges of Northern California and has been abalone diving, spearfishing, and foraging in the Pacific Ocean for several decades. After getting a degree in political science from UC Santa Barbara, he worked in the environmental consulting industry as a marketing manager for a carbon fiber sports division of Mitsubishi. But the allure of the backcountry, bow hunting, and a love for wild places and wild food brought him to his current role as the California chapter coordinator for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a nonprofit dedicated to wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. Let's roll in. Devin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, glad to have you over here and love to ask you a lot of questions regarding hunting here in California. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. So, Devin, tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are, where you come from. Um, you know, give us a little scoop about who you are. Yeah, uh, well, I'm uh, now a dad of, of two and uh, two little girls. I have been diving and abalone diving and spearfishing and hunting for a good, good bit of my life here in California. Uh, mostly, mostly raised in Northern California, uh, North of San Francisco. And so kind of cut my teeth doing some backcountry fishing trips and, uh, abalone diving and getting into just everything food related for me was what really like got me into to all those outdoor pursuits and adventures and ended up going to UC Santa Barbara, uh, for college. That's where I really got into spearfishing and kind of spearfished my way through college. Uh, and that was kind of, that was awesome. Just getting acquainted with, with that whole culture and um, getting into the kelp beds there. And there's just so much out there in the ocean that you can harvest. And uh, when you are used to fishing with a hook and line or fly or used to hunting, you know, the success rates are, are a lot lower, but spearfishing, you just go out there and and pretty much get something every time once you get somewhat dialed in. So yeah, ate a lot of fish in college. And, um, after that got into bow hunting, um, uh, got into wing shooting, you know, waterfowl, just kind of everything. My hunting, uh, career really took off at that point. Um, no one in my family hunts, I'm I'm sort of like the first generation there. And so really self-taught on a lot of these things, but it's, uh, yeah, something that, you know, has led me to my career, um, working for BHA. And, you know, before that I was working in, uh, did some entrepreneurial pursuits, started a skateboard company down here after school, uh, we made bulletproof skateboards out of Lexan and tested them with an AR-15. They were indeed bulletproof and did that for a few years, then worked for environmental consulting firm, worked for an archery shop, Mitsubishi, and, uh, did some different marketing gigs. And that brought me to uh, my position at BHA. For those wondering what BHA is, it's Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Yeah. So, um, you know, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, is the organization. You want me to go a, do a yeah. do a run through on BHA now? Go for it. Cool. So uh, I am the California Chapter Coordinator and uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. We are North America wide. We've got chapters in 48 states and two Canadian provinces uh, and territory. 
we, uh, you know, our, our mission is to be the voice for um, wild public lands, waters, and wildlife, and to sustain our North American heritage of hunting and fishing in a natural setting. And our work, you know, through the chapters happens on the grassroots level. So the, the organization is, is really fueled and um, powered by the grassroots. And it's something that, that drives us. And it's something that uh, it, it is really inspiring to be a part of uh, an organization that really empowers the volunteers from the, from the ground up to do conservation projects, to do advocacy in Congress, um, you know, the, the work that we do kind of, I, I, I describe it as we have sort of like these two hands of the organization on the one side, we've got, um, the work that's happening in the legislature, advocating for bills, advocating for funding for our federal agencies, um, you know, trying to get, uh, resources to the forest service, to BLM, to fish and wildlife, um, to our state wildlife agencies in order to, uh, you know, promote habitat, uh, abundant wildlife populations, um, policies and, and infrastructure to improve the, the hunting and the experience on public lands. And so, you know, uh, along with that, we're advocating for clean water. We want to see, you know, large scale conservation designations on public lands that will uh, maintain access for hunting and fishing, but also to ensure that, you know, we do have those wildlife populations that are abundant um, moving forward and addressing the threats there. So, you know, if you've come across a public landowner t-shirt or, um, you know, similar slogan, that's, that's something that BHA adopted a while back, um, really just to kind of convey to folks that we're all owners of public lands here in North America. And this is our, this is our heritage. This is a, you know, kind of something that's been passed down um, from the conservation leaders before us. And it's, it's uh, incumbent upon us to be good stewards of the land, to take care of the resources, um, to make sure that they're going to be held in perpetuity for future generations to be able to go out on public lands and to hunt and fish. And even if you don't hunt or fish to mountain bike or hike or bird watch or whatever it is, the public lands for, are for all of us. And we want to make sure that that access is there for everybody. So, you know, that's, that's part of what we do on the, the advocacy side of things. Uh, on the other hand, we um, promote community building events and projects on, on public lands mostly um, and stewardship work to actually get out there on, on the ground and take care of these resources. So if they're habitat improvement projects or trash packouts um, or work with our state or federal agency partners to um, promote wildlife habitat um, in order to support the, the game species that we like to hunt, but also those other species that share habitat with those game species that may be threatened or endangered. And so, you know, our work really expands beyond maybe just like one species that might drive a volunteer to get out there. But a lot of these projects have those ripple impacts into um, a lot of these other species. And so, you know, being out there on the ground, um, restoring grasslands or, um, you know, removing uh, conifers that are encroaching on native prairies for elk or um, doing water infrastructure guzzler projects for bighorn sheep um, or, you know, upland game. There's, there's a ton of different projects that we work on and a lot of it is focused on connectivity. So connecting these important landscapes and that work on the ground really informs the policy and the advocacy 
to kind of show the left hand what the right hand's doing and the importance of getting out on the ground and then advocating for that funding and those congressional designations and bills to to make it happen from the top down. Yeah. One of the things that attracted to attracted me to your organization was the inclusivity of you guys, where you guys cover everything, not just hunting and fishing, but like you said, mountain biking and all that. And that's one of the things I strive for with my organization at Kern River Conservancy. It's like we represent everybody. You know, we're 100% inclusive to all public lands. Um, and in California, that's very rare because, you know, 95% of these organizations in California, the environmental groups, um, they pride themselves on being inclusive, right, and diverse. But yet they have a very negative um, aspect of mountain bikers and hunters and people that are in the off-road community, right? So I think that's one of the reasons I've kind of always been drawn to you guys. It's like we have like very similar visions and we look at all our volunteers and all of our donors and all of the people that have supported us as we're all inclusive. The public lands is for everybody. It's not only for a small selective group. And that's one thing I always have loved about you guys and why I always support you guys constantly every year. And like, do um you know the collaboration between both groups you know we've had events together and cleanups and stuff like that and i love doing that and i continue and i want to continue doing that with you guys it's always a you know great time we just had you guys out here uh, a couple of weeks ago for national public lands day we all went whitewater rafting so that was a lot of fun yeah and i'm bummed that i got covid and couldn't show up <laughs> we could have came nobody would have known yeah <laughs> we're all outdoors we're, out, we're outside yeah yeah um, how did you I'd how say... did you get into how, like how did you get involved with BHA like were you out hunting and did you know BHA was around before you joined or was that something that just came up or how did that all work out so yeah it's an interesting story I I got I heard about BHA um from a friend that I used to shoot uh with like at the range and so I was just kind of you know shooting the shit um slinging a few arrows and and he had mentioned, Hey, there's a pint night, um, happening over Ballast Point. Uh, I think it was Ballast Point. And he said, you know, it, you show up and you get a, a free beer and, and whatnot. And so I said, okay, well you had me at the free beer. Like, let's, let's go. I, I don't know anything about BHA at the, at the time. And, you know, I, I went and I listened and as a newer hunter, a lot of things appealed to me, right? Just this group of individuals that were more conservation minded. And to be honest, like not, coming from that hunting background i didn't really have any participation in the conservation community like i wasn't wasn't even on my radar that there were groups out there like ducks unlimited and cal deer and rmef and wild sheep foundation and all the groups that re are really doing great work in support of our wildlife and so you know to me bha was the first group that was just kind of presented to me and it was really open and inviting and i met a lot of really great people there and so I made a few friends and from that point uh, just kind of helped out the chapter a little bit. Uh, not, nothing too much, just writing a couple articles and blog posts, you know, just kind of asked, okay, well, how do I get involved? And, you know, I became a member at that event because, you know, you got like the food and the two free beers and a t-shirt. And so I was like sold. Um, <clears throat> and, and then, you know, that, that really started it for me, started the journey and, I became more involved. I decided to plan uh, an event. So through this community of friends that I made that we started hunting together, we started fishing together and we said, Hey, it'd be fun to host an event where we do like surf fishing, spear fishing, kayak fishing. And then we have a big potluck 
and we show the public landowner film festival. So that was something that BHA did where we had um, member submitted films and we had a little mini film festival that went around the country. And so we thought about how do we show this film? And then we said, oh, well, let's, let's do some fishing and potluck beforehand. And so from that point, I met this really awesome community. I helped organize that event as a volunteer and really got an idea like how these grassroots things kind of come about. And then, uh, you know, I, uh, later on, I was working at Mitsubishi as a marketing manager in their archery department. They had like archery and golf divisions of this carbon fiber, um, subset of Mitsubishi chemical. And from there, you know, I had, I had worked with BHA more. I was a member and, and at that point actually got Mitsubishi to sponsor BHA as a corporate sponsor. And then that's what eventually led me to work for the organization when I was working on that program, talking to one of my contacts there at the headquarters. And he told me that uh, we're going to have to push the call because that we had scheduled because he was going uh, rafting down the Smith River and they were going to be hunting and fishing for a week as a part of their retreat. And I'm like, man, this is your job. You're, you're going to raft and hunt and fish and camp for a week. Like, Sign me up. Like, how do I get a part of this? And he told me about the California coordinator position and I applied and, uh, um, you know, just the, the nine to five, nine to five corporate life was not for me. And so this is, uh, very much been what I'm, what I'm passionate about and what I enjoy doing. One cool thing about you guys, um, and this is like the, how diverse you guys are. And like, when you think of a hunter, right, you think of someone that probably lives in a rural town, someone that lives in the mountains, um you know somebody that just has like a specific background with politics or anything like that but being around you guys and your members and these outings it is so diverse with you guys like i've just met guys that come from la and they live like in downtown la they have a corporate nine to five job where they wear a suit they're in finance and whatever or they drive a tesla and then i see them up here in sequoia national forest and they're hunting and you know i start having conversations with these guys and you know they're like they tell me that they're bha members and you know so forth and then I always meet them up here. You know, we meet the hunters up here when it's hunting season. And I see how and where they're coming from. Like, a lot of these guys are coming from, like, you know, cities like downtown L.A. or wherever. And they have the complete opposite background. You, you know, they're, like, in finance or they're in tech or something. And they don't drive, like, a big truck or whatever like that, you know. It's really cool to see that and how um, how diverse that whole, you know, like, the hunting has become. You know, we grew up as kids yeah. or even, you know, just a stereotype of, like, it's some, you know, like old dude that drives a big truck and drives, you know, this and that. But then it's like, it's the opposite. Like I met hunters here in campgrounds uh, when it's like hunting season here in September and October. And they're, like, they're just like regular dudes that just come from the city. They just want to eat, you know, and they're just out harvesting food. They don't want to go shopping for food because, you know, food is so processed. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on with our foods now. Um, and people are out there just harvesting their own food, which is amazing. Um, you know, I don't, have the time to go hunt as much even though it's in my backyard um and i don't have anybody to go hunt with either but i do meet i do buy meat from some of the local hunters i go out there whether it's deer or wild boar i do buy that meat because i like to have my meat you know as gamey as possible and as organic as possible you know and as wild as possible that's how i like my meat um so if i had the opportunity to go out there and hunt i totally would but sometimes i just don't have the time or i don't have the people to go with um so that's always been a challenge for me the people I used to go out with a long time ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, you know, they all got married and had kids and they just kind of disappear and they just forget about their outdoors. You know, they don't go camping anymore. Um, so that was something that I kind of missed doing way before, like before I started Kern River Conservancy. So 
it's something I've been wanting to get back into. I just haven't had the time to get my head wrapped around it and get more involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we always try to have, you know, a potluck if, if possible at all of our events, anything that's a camp out, we always encourage people to, to share, you know, share what they have. And if you go out and you, you're successful one year, you know, you may have a surplus of elk or something and you share that with, uh, you know, friends and family and honestly, strangers. That's, yeah. that's something that I, uh, I picked up from, um, you know, one of our members and, and a friend who, who gave me this pin that says, uh, venison diplomat. And I'm like, <laughs> man, this is so perfect, right? Because sharing wild game with someone who's never had it is, is a big thing. Like I remember when I brought my first deer and my mom was kind of like, she was not whole hunting thing. She didn't like the idea about me hunting and wasn't until I cooked that venison and we shared a meal and I talked about what it meant to me to get this deer and how it took me five years to get my first deer and I worked really hard and and then she started to understand like wow this is not that stereotype you know this is different this is someone who just wants to go out and feed themselves and their family and high quality good wild organic grass-fed protein um there's nothing better on the planet so I think I think that's always been like a well-being community yeah I think that's always been the misconception of hunting it's like you know 99 percent of the people that are out there hunting or harvesting for food, right. To feed themselves, to put food in the refrigerator. Um, and there's always that misconception. People think that hunters are just out there killing animals for no reason, or they're doing it just for sport, just to put a trophy or whatever. But people don't know that. And I encourage people to get to know a hunter and ask questions like, why do you hunt? You know, most people just jump to conclusions. And this is part of the society that we live in with political rhetoric and the narrative about like hunting is bad or whatever like that. Um, I, you know, we, I work in conservation as well. Um, I just, for me, hunting, I just look at it as a conservation tool. I look at it as a tool of getting food. Um, but it really depends on your, you know, what you, how you look at it. And unfortunately, we live in a state that's very, has this certain way they want to look at things and, you know, kind of demonize the people that do um, politically. But um, right, it's just unfortunate. But, you know, it's, it's California. <laughs> Yeah, California comes with all its channel challenges. Um, what what does BHA have going on right now in California? We got some big ones. I'll say the the we've got a project that I've been personally working on for two years now. That in two weeks, just over two weeks, we're gonna meet up in Northeast California, just about a half an hour from Reno, across the border, um, along Highway three ninety five. We're gonna be planting ten thousand bitterbrush seedlings that were grown out through a voluntary program at the Sagebrush and Prisons program at FCI Hairlong. So, uh, you know, we're doing a big restoration project to restore winter range for mule deer and antelope that's burned. And now there's a bunch of invasive species that have taken over and the bitter brush is like a critical plant for them to get through the winter. And what used to be just like big stands are now cheatgrass and, and non-nutritious uh, fire prone weeds. And so, We've been working on this project. Uh, we have funding from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, Sitka Gear. Uh, our chapter put it put up ten grand towards the the project, and uh, we're we're going to be just ra- rallying a bunch of volunteers. We're holding up the beer bands and bitter brush stands event. So we got this awesome barn that we rented off site where we're going to have you know live music and bands and uh, raffles, and then we'll all get together and plant for a weekend and. Put ten thousand plants in the ground. 
for our deer and our antelope herds. And we're also including some plants of cultural significance to the Washoe tribe. Um, at the same time, since we're doing the effort, that stuff's all, those plants are all incredibly good for pollinator species, really good for, um, for our wildlife, for deer. It's all really good browse, but it's also uh, important to the, to the tribe there. So we felt like it was important to include. And that's the biggest one. Beyond that, we got a project the next weekend with the United States Marine Corps to, uh, uh, and that's with yeah the Marines, the Wild Sheep Foundation, Anzabrego Desert State Park, um, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and a few other partners. So we're going to be replacing some guzzlers with our you know uh, artificial watering sources for the sheep to help them provide resiliency during drought years. And the Marines have stepped up to fly in these tanks, fly in and out the tanks for us the last three years, and just like a huge hats off to HMLAT three hundred three the squadron that that's uh, stepped up to do this. And they, they say it's great training and they're super enthusiastic to help and just some awesome, awesome guys and gals over there. And so really excited about that project doing that one again, because it's a lot of fun working under the helicopters and those tanks are really important in those arid climates when there's drought to provide that resiliency. You know, a few years ago, there were sheep dying um, at these drinkers that were, were, were going dry. And so, you know, the drinkers are there because we put a campground over a watering hole, you know, so the sheep can't go to that watering hole they used to go to. So we have to offset that because we put a McDonald's or a campground or whatever it is over a traditional watering hole that was there for thousands of years. Yeah. And uh, as, a res as a result, we have to offset that with an artificial source somewhere else. Anything else? Yeah, those are the two big ones. Um, beyond that, you know, uh, something that we worked on last year that we're doing again on the event side, we'll do this one in the Bay Area, uh, we're going to, uh, I don't know if we're going to call it explore hunting again or backcountry in your backyard. We've kind of been bouncing around. What we did last year was going into these urban cities, urban settings, and having a program that's completely free, just welcoming people that have never hunted before. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Uh, just to tell them like, what is hunting, right? What is conservation? So last year we had, um, you know, we had a warden come out there. Uh, I had gone waterfowl hunting the day before and a couple of our board members had gone out. And so we had some, uh, some speckle bellies. We had some, uh, some sea ducks and we had some, you know, like few different uh, types of birds out there. And we did a breakdown for folks. So it's just like learn about hunting, um, understand how you break down a, an animal and then we cooked it up right there. Um, and like, so I think, you know, just that, that type of program is really cool, right? It's, it's on that same vein of just making sure that that, that door is open and that the tent of conservation is, is wide open for anybody that wants to participate. And, and so last year we partnered with uh, um, hunters of color to do that and to, to provide, to do some presentations from their perspective and, you know, I think we're, we're still building out what the program is going to look like for this year, but yeah, it's super important. I think to have those conversations in cities where people are not exposed to hunting and especially where you get legislation that comes out like we had a few years ago in SB 252, um, for coming out of Senator Wiener's district in San Francisco, that was just an outright ban on bear hunting. And, you know, that's just not connected to the truth and the, um, 
the real, the, uh, you know, situation on the ground that we have with bears and the, the amount of bears that are out there and the importance of, of hunting as a conservation tool and also a population estimate uh, tool and a way to um, provide really good uh, fat and meat for, for people and families, which, you know, really people used to hunt bears for food uh, over deer, you know, back 150 years ago. And so they, that's been a food staple out here on the West for a long time. And so, you know, I think events like this are helpful to connect people with the facts on the ground and also to hopefully combat these types of bills that are emotional and they don't understand really what's happening on the ground. And the fact that people aren't going out there shooting bears as a trophy, they're going out there for the food. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Speaking of that. Uh, recently, the California governor Newsom signed into bill AB 28, which was a major tax increase on ammo. Um, I know that's gonna that affects hunters as well, not just any gun enthusiast. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and how that impacts the hunting community? Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, BHA in general, we don't we don't really get too involved on on firearm bills and, and legislation and two A issues because there's a lot of great partners that work on that and we're really laser focused on conservation issues. However, when it comes to something like AB 28, that bill, because of what it will mean for hunters, for access, for um, lower income hunters and for the shooting sports, for people that want to go out and hit the range and, you know, become more ethical hunters. They want to practice and shoot clays. Well, uh, it's a lot more expensive now and there are more barriers to entry um, from an R3 standpoint. Uh, R3 is the department's recruit, retain, reactivate uh, campaign of, you know, getting more people into hunting. And so from that perspective, it, it's really an impediment to access. Um, And so from one side of the equation, that's, that's why we opposed that bill and encouraged our members to, uh, you know, reach out to their, to their representatives to oppose that bill. And we sent multiple letters about it um, because yeah, like I said, we don't usually get involved on two way issues because there's so many great groups that work on it, but this one was one that like, we couldn't, um, we couldn't sit on the sidelines because of that reason. You know, the other reason why it's a really kind of scary bill is that there are some concerns that there may be constitutional challenges to the bill, which are, are, I would say likely. And um, as a result of those challenges, a program and attack has long been lauded by conservationists and hunters uh, for the last hundred years, pretty close to, um, which is the, the Pittman-Robertson Act, uh, that could potentially be affected by this bill. Because if this is challenged, um, Pittman-Robertson could be challenged. And if that's challenged, that's where the majority of funding for conservation comes from to our uh, state and federal wildlife agencies. You know, PR funding is is a huge part of it. And, and there's been billions that have been directly plugged into conservation uh, of habitat and wildlife species because of this tax on um, firearms and equipment. Um, archery and and ammunition and everything firearm related that's Pippin Robertson and hunters have have you know welcomed that I would say and worn that you know as a badge of pride 
saying that, you know, we're, we're okay with our money going towards these programs because we know it's going to better habitat for, for fish and wildlife. And, and so, you know, if PR were to fall, that would be a huge, huge blow for conservation. And so this bill is just bad for a number of reasons. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely, it's, it's not too surprising in California, you know, the, the bill aims to prevent, um, you know, violence, um, from, from criminals with firearms. And so, uh, you know, nobody opposes that goal of the bill, right? We don't want to see, uh, gun violence, but we, we do, we do not feel like the bill is directed at the wrong community. So we're, we're taxing, you know, lawful, uh, law-abiding, uh, gun-owning citizens and hunters with carrying the burden of what's happening from, you know, criminals. And so that, that's not, that's not fair in our opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> a topic of recent, um, I hear in central California has been the discovery of gray wolves in Sequoia National Forest. And when the news came out that there were gray wolves out here, um, you know, there's mixed emotions, right? You have people that are in support of it. They love that there's gray wolves here. They want to see the gray wolves thrive and live. And then you have a small percentage of people that were, you know, hunters who were excited that they were going to go hunt a wolf or they were talking about, oh, I can't wait to go hunting and I see wolf or whatever like that. Um, you know, and, you know, the gray wolves are protected animals, um, but there's a, always that mentality. And these people that are saying these things aren't, are not your typical like hunters, as you would say, right? They're not the conservationist kind of hunters. These guys are just like, they're just looking for an excuse to go shoot a gray wolf. Um, so what, how does that, how does those gray wolves in Sequoia National Forest for people that hunt like the D8, 9 areas, how does that impact hunting when there's gray wolves out here and to the rest of the ecosystem of them being an apex predator? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a new it's a new uh, shift for, for the species in that area. And, you know, they were once, they're, they're a native species that was extirpated, um, you know, probably closer to around the turn of the century. And for a long time, there was actually a lot of funding from states to remove coyotes and wolves. Um, you know, I think at one point, I think it was around like 1900, Montana spent, 75% of its annual budget on bounties for wolves, um, which is kind of mind blowing if you were to think about that today and how much money the state of Montana probably spends and the fact that 75% went towards bounties. So obviously the pendulum was swinging pretty far to the extreme uh, around the turn of the century. And it's definitely come back a long ways now. And, you know, the wolves are migrating down. I think that these wolves came from Oregon um, part of a, a pack that was in Oregon and they've been, they've been coming down there, you know, they're establishing in a few different places of, of Northern California, Northeastern California. And, and this is about as far as they've made it. There was a solo wolf last year. They made it pretty far. And I think he might've gotten hit on the road. Yeah. He got hit. But by, this is a pack. On a Bakersfield. Yeah. It's a Bakersfield. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, a pack. So, you know, may, may really establish here. And from a, from a conservation standpoint, you know, they're a, they're a native species. So, you know, we don't, we don't have any problem with a native species being in their native range. Like that's, that's something that we feel like what, with a correctly managed population and policies, that's a really good thing um, to see these ecosystems 
re- restored to their normal function with where, where things get tricky and where you get issues is where policies become so skewed um, when populations really grow that they don't um, reevaluate and, and understand that every species needs to be managed. So just like we manage our deer populations to not have too many deer or too few deer, um, the same thing really needs to happen with our predators. And so bears are an example in California that they're currently allowed to be hunted, although a lot of the mechanisms to hunt bears were taken away with the use of dogs and um, you can only take one, there's only one bear tag right now. And so, you know, the bear population as a result is, is really exploding in the state. Um, mountain lions are another example. You can't hunt mountain lions in California because of a number of policies and there are areas where uh, mountain lions are having a detrimental impact on native populations. So two native species, one of them, you know, is allowed to be managed, the other one's not, um, or at least managed using hunting. And so what happens is the state ends up going in spending taxpayer dollars to manage it. And people don't have a problem with that, right? Like there's more mountain lions that are killed in today's day and age than there ever were because of depredation permits. Um than there was with hunting and people don't have a problem with that, but um, because it's the state doing it, it's not a hunter, which, you know, it seems backwards, but when it comes to wolves and our deer populations, you know, our deer, uh, I asked a biologist friend of mine this, and he said that, you know, the deer in that area are probably so used to um, pressure from mountain lions, pressure from coyotes, uh, bears, that adding another predator into the mix is probably not going to change too much of their normal function and their, the way that they're going to go about their day to day. Um, you know, wolves are going to eat coyotes, uh, hundred percent. So th- there's going to, you know, they're not going to discriminate there. Uh, there could be a, a detriment to the deer population at some point. I think that's very plausible. And that's obviously not something that we want to see the deer and the elk population. You know, now we've got, elk coming into uh you know we've got a new elk hunting zone um right around there around Tehachapi and so that's kind of cool and exciting and uh you know at, at the end of the day when it comes to species like wolves we want to see the state adopt policies where um if populations are to an extent where they're stable and or overpopulated we want to see hunting as a tool to manage those populations and um in some states that's the situation and uh, I actually ate a wolf at Rendezvous, BHA's big North America event um, that we do every year. Randy Newberg shot a wolf. I forget where he shot it. So one of the states are allowed to hunt him. And he brought it and cooked it for everybody. And I ate a, this slow cooked wolf on a birch barrel. And it was delicious. I would never have known it was a wolf. I would have thought it was like a deer or a cow or, you know, some sort of red, slow cooked red meat. It was yum. Yeah, it didn't taste like chicken, that's for sure. <laughs> Everybody always <laughs> tastes like chicken. <laughs> Not this one. No, this is this is red meat for sure. But I think that you know that's that's kind of where we're at. Like we want to we live by that North American model, right? Of science-based yeah. management. So we want to manage our populations according to science, according to what the biologists say, to what the native species are. But what as soon as you get things out of balance, then we need to keep that in check. And hunting is a really good tool to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned about the new hunting zone in Tehachapi for elk. Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, so there's, um, I think there's 50 tags. So there are a bunch of elk um, 
I want to say that they're Roosevelt's. Maybe man, they're. I'm gonna get this mixed up. They're not. They're not uh, Toolies. Um, oh, so, Rocky Mountains. Yeah, maybe they're Rocky Mountains. Um, uh, Roosevelt's are Rocky Mountains, and so they they came out of um, Tahone Ranch, and uh, they've been sort of expanding from Tahone, and that herd is really uh, you know really doing well over there, and so they're getting up close enough to um some tule elk which are you know uh, uh sensitive species in the state you can hunt them but they're they don't have the same um you know they're, they're, it's like a a, a really a, a focus species for the state and they don't want those two um, species mixing because you could have some some problems there and you know whether it's disease or um inbreeding i don't know exactly so they want to make sure that these two elk herds don't mix. And as a result, they opened up 50 new tags um, uh, right around there in, in Tehachapi. And um, that's really exciting. They've actually increased, I think there's almost like over 100 new elk tags just throughout the state in different areas. So the elk are actually doing pretty good in California. And, you know, 100 tags is like almost a, you know, I think there were only 200 some elk tags in the state. So you had 100 tags and we're talking about a huge increase in opportunity. Now that's still not that many tags, still hard to draw, but hopefully that'll continue going in that direction. We can have these policies where, uh, you know, it might not take 20 years to draw an elk tag one day. Yeah. We have three of them here in Kernville. Yeah. I thought there were some up that far. I, I, I wanted to say when I looked at the map that they were, I think most of those are like share tags, probably like private landowner, um, private property tags, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Have well, you seen any? Yeah. So they showed up about two years ago. There's three of them. And it was just kind of like out of nowhere. Like you're just driving in Kernville and there's like three elk just hanging on the side of the road. <laughs> where, where did you guys come from? And they've been here. They haven't left. And they're not in the national forest system yet. They're just outside, just kind of hanging out, uh, you know, in town. Like some of the, you know, the river corridor, you know, below Kernville. Um, yeah. So they're just kind of hanging out. They go back and forth from the river up to the hills where there's some private residences but they're really kind of focused in this area. They're not going anywhere else. Um, and so it's, it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, these elk just hanging out out here and they're not going, they've been here for two years. They haven't left. Um, so they're just kicking it. And it's pretty cool to see uh, between the elk and, and now the gray wolves up here. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the Kern river Valley is a very biodiverse area and to have these two additions to that is even cooler, you know, all we're missing now is a grizzly bear and a Bigfoot. <laughs> it's a nice place to be, man. Yeah. Um, what's the future of hunting in California between the political climate when it comes to protecting the environment and um, I don't want to say gun rights, but, you know, like the, the cost of doing business in the gun world with uh, ammo or types of weapons being sold, um, you know, to us, a hunting rifle is a hunting rifle, but to politicians in Sacramento, everything is an assault weapon or whatever. Um, or what do you think that's going to look like in 10, 15 years for hunters? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I'm hopeful that in 10, 15 years, we'll have more elk to hunt. Um, hopefully we can, we can get a handle on, on our, our policies and balance, you know, emotion and science when it comes to managing predator species and having that balance between, you know, our deer and pronghorn 
uh, bighorn sheep species and the predators that hunt them and find a, find a way to have a balance there between those two groups and be able to use hunting as a management tool. You know, I think in some of your areas that are closer to urban centers, I think those will probably be as, as we sprawl out from these urban places, some of those pretty good hunting zones now, you know, they may get some sort of regulation put on them where you can't shoot a firearm or, or maybe it's bow only, or maybe there's no hunting. And that would be really unfortunate, but I could see that happening as you just get more and more homes and people, you know, I think the state is definitely a leader when it comes to large scale conservation designations, whether or not they're, whether they may be, you know, wildlife refuges, which you can hunt on, you know, hunt waterfowl on a majority of wildlife refuges, um, or their, um, you know, national monuments where you can hunt almost all the national monuments except for Castle Mountains, which is one that we're working to restore hunting access to. Um, so I think the state is is looking forward to trying to conserve these lands. And, and from that perspective, I'm really optimistic about what our wildlife and our, what, what our biodiversity is going to look like from a conservation standpoint. It's the access and the, the politicians meddling with some of the ability to hunt. Um, whether or not that's coming from like on the ocean side of things or terrestrial where you get these designations that for no reason restrict hunting because there's just a disconnect between the lawmaker and what's happening on the ground and what hunting really is and how hunting is a good management tool and how it's it's not just those stereotypes that are you know pushed forward and so I'd say from the firearms perspective that's not one that I I can speak to as you know articulate as maybe some of our other partners that that focus more on on the two issues but i'd say that you know more regulation is coming so there will probably be more and more regulations and i think it's going to be really important for for sportsmen and women to advocate for those firearms that that have been a part of hunting traditions for a long time um you know i don't see that on the chopping block anytime soon something that scares me is dogs I could see people don't understand hunting with dogs. They don't understand what a bird dog is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even, even how people hunt with dogs for bears or mountain lions. They don't understand that these dogs are out there catching a scent, um, finding an animal, treeing that animal. So they chase them up a tree and then the hunter then can come up, look at the animal, decide, okay, is this a mom? Does it have cubs? Is this a mature animal? Should I let it pass? And they can do that when they have a, the time to evaluate the animal without dogs, you see a bear running in the woods, you might shoot it and not realize that it was a mama bear with cubs. And so that's, that's how dogs are used for hunting big game. You know, that's been outlawed pretty much across the board. Uh, but using dogs for quail, flushing quail or going to, um, retrieve your bird, uh, in the blind as a duck hunter, like these things, that that's what I'm afraid we might lose. Uh, and so that's something that's really important to, to be aware of and to stay vigilant on that. We don't lose sporting dogs because those dogs live for it, man. Those are their bred for it. They live for it. And it's a really important part of hunting and a really amazing connection between man and animal to be able to go out there and hunt and, and bring your dog. And so that, that's a big fear for me, but in general, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah. What about people who just bring your pet dog, not for hunting, but they, I personally have seen people out there who have, they're just out there waterfowl hunting or they're deer hunting or whatever it is. And I see them with their, like their German shepherd or their golden retriever or even a pit bull sometimes. 
and I'm just like, oh, I, I go, that's, I go, you have a trained hunting dog, you know? Oh, no, it's just my pet. I just decided to bring it with me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It probably makes it a lot harder, like, to be successful, right? I mean, I'm thinking about if I brought my dog hunting, I I mean, I've tried my best, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be doing me any favors out there in the woods <laughs> I, and i've heard people lose their dogs man i've heard people you know like on social media they'll post stuff like oh we were out here hunting and our dogs got away and then you look at the picture of the dog and it's like one's like a little wiener dog or something i'm like what were you guys even <laughs> thinking like why would you take yeah. hunting? you know i mean i, I get especially it especially if they're family not family member but there's a time and place to take dogs hunting you know yeah especially if they're not gun trained you know if your dog is not gun broke and, and they hear you shoot, they're going to split. And that's what yeah. happens. These guys are probably popping rounds off, and these dogs just take off in the opposite direction, and they're never yeah. seen. Devin, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if anybody wants to get involved with uh, BHA, how do they get involved? So, you know, go to the website, backcountryhunters.org. You know, get on the mailing list, sign up, become a member. It's 35 bucks a year. Um, it keeps the lights on for us and allows us to do all the programs and advocacy work that we do. Um, you can email California at backcountryhunters.org if you want to get involved with the California chapter or uh, if you want to reach out to me I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone about the work that we're doing how to get involved how to become you know uh, a regional leader or how you know eventually you know board membering potentially we've got amazing volunteer boards that do incredible work in the state so my email is odea at backcountryhunters.org so um, any of those options you know and I would say also just keep an eye out for the events right show up to an event if you're a hunter or not a hunter and uh it's a really really awesome open community and people will tell you everything that they know and take you out hunting and uh bring under their wing and really kind of open that door for you that's what happened to me and it, you know it led me to my career here and it really changed my life in a lot of really awesome ways so i encourage folks to check out an event and come on out and there's plenty of space in the tent and it's uh we usually have a have a good time and we'll have our pint nights and so um yeah come join us yeah, and you guys are on social media, and then your chapter um, also has its own separate social media too, correct? That's right. Yeah, so we're uh, so check out. We've got a you know a page on Facebook for the California chapter, and then we've also got Backcountry Hunters CA is the handle for Instagram. So definitely follow us. Keep you know keep you in the loop on events and everything. And yeah, I just want to say thanks for thanks for having me out, and thanks for being an awesome partner. It's been great to collaborate on events with you guys over the years, and look forward to doing some more pack outs and, and work with the uh, conservancy. You guys really crush it. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking, always looking forward to that every single year. And, uh, and the pint nights, um, besides drinking beer and seeing you guys, I look forward to seeing all your new merch and picking up things here and there, but yeah, let me know when you guys are back in town, whether you guys are fishing, hunting, or just getting some beer. Will do. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Devin, thank you so much. All right, Gary. Thanks. All right. Oh, are we stop? Once again, if you're looking to get involved with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, their website is backcountryhunters.org forward slash California. Did you know in California there are over 38 million acres of public land that you can hunt on? That's right, 38 million acres. That's roughly 38% of the state. And in California, it is estimated there's over 250,000 licensed hunters in California today. So if you're looking to learn, getting involved, or 
just being part of uh, the hunting community, check out BHA. Until next time, you guys, I'll catch you guys on the podcast.